When the sun goes down and the moon lights the sky, I am there, lurking in the shadows. <laughs> Check us out on Facebook.
Check us out on Facebook. When the sun goes down and the moon lights the sky, I am there, lurking in the shadows. <laughs> out on Facebook. Check us out on Facebook. When the sun goes down and the moon lights the sky, I am there, lurking in the shadows. <laughs> Your 
your number one. Your number one. Number one. Ten. Nine. Eight. Seven. Six. Five. Four. Three. Two. One. And now, check us out on Facebook. Well, good afternoon. Welcome to the Guildford Gazette podcast with me, Dennis Devon, and a very warm welcome to your award-winning journalist and author, John Coleman. Good afternoon, John. Dennis, how are you doing? I'm all right. It's great to catch up with you, John. How's things today? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Not too bad. It's uh, well, I'm on a day off today, so there's no such thing as a bad as a bad day, obviously. So no, it's nice. It's good. <laughs> just getting ready for uh, a drive to Grimsby tomorrow to for the Carlisle United game. So just uh, just trying to get my head around that a little bit and getting prepared and and all good. Yeah, yeah, I can't complain. It's been a bit of a miserable morning, but the as you can see, the weather's come out really nice. Yeah, it's uh, I'm down near Penrith here, and the sun's the sun is shining. It's splitting the flags, mate. So long, long may it last. I'm sure it won't, but yeah, it'd be nice. <laughs> no, I've no doubt we'll be end up stuck with rain later on. Ah, uh, you're probably right, and you know the clocks are going back soon as well, aren't they? So, yeah, all the all those all those dark and miserable nights to come. But we're, we're in Cumbria, aren't we? So you know we're uh, we don't expect balmy autumns and winters and uh, Indian summers or anything like that. We're we used to it and we're hardened to it, aren't we? <laughs> especially when we especially when we're shivering on a in a stand somewhere watching football or, or the people that are allowed to at the moment in this. I mean, ridiculous year, but uh, but yeah, yeah, it's it's big coat season nearly, isn't it? Really. It is, yeah, and it is a crazy situation in football. I'm away with Carlisle City tomorrow, and I'm looking forward to that. We have our top of the league class with... Uh, uh, who are we playing again? Can I forgot. <laughs> it's been one of them days, John. You, you, better, you better check before you set off, mate. <laughs> I better do it, buddy. <laughs> and this has been one of them days. John, it's great having you on board. Now, I believe you grew up in Hayton near Espatria. What was life like growing up in Hayton? Yeah, that's right, Um well, it was it was great. I was, you know, I was. That's where I, that's where I grew up. That's where I lived until I left for for, for university when I was when I was eighteen. It was, um, you know, it, it's a quiet. Um, I'm not going to say sleepy village. That's a bit of a cliche, but it's 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 sort of you know it's near Spatria, so it's it, it kind of leans slightly more to, to West Cumbria than than East, but it's it's you know fairly in between Carlisle and. And, and sort of you know workings and white havens and everything but it's it, it's near the it's near the coast there it's not too far from allenby um it, it, it's a it's a quiet quite quite rural place but it, it, it's it's home and it always will be and um grew up there with my older brother my mum and dad um and yeah I still love going back to see my mum as much as i can there um cumbrian through and through that you know my, my folks are west cumbrians by by roots and that's where my that's where my roots are. So yeah, um, that's that's home. It's 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 not a it's not a village that uh, gets talked about much. I don't think everyone is very familiar with a lot of places, yeah. Cumbria, all the towns and villages and the hamlets and everything. Hayton doesn't doesn't get too many mentions, but it's you know it always picturesque. Well, yeah, absolutely. There's there's the castle, there's Hayton Castle there, um, which which you know is is quite a 
is quite a landmark for the place. And, um, you know, I just have my memories are of the, you know, the big village green and bonfire nights there, the old, the old youth club that used to be in the old village hall, which doesn't stand there anymore. Um, and things like that. It was, you know, always a, always a nice community to be growing up in lots of, lots of, you know, friends of similar ages back then. Um, so yeah, happy, happy days, happy memories, mate. And you went to, was it Cockermouth School? What was like life at Cockermouth School for you? Were you a good yeah. pupil? <laughs> That's, not <laughs> me. That's not for me to say. I think I was, <laughs> I was probably a bit of a goody two-shoes in some ways. I didn't uh, I didn't get into too much bother, to be honest. Uh, yeah, I, 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 enjoyed, I, enjoyed school. I enjoyed going to Cockermouth. Again, made some great friends there. Um, you know, it was, was quite studious when my mind wasn't on football and things, which was quite a lot. Um, I, I did enjoy... You know, I mean, I enjoyed I enjoyed things like English and, and languages and French and things yeah. because that's that's what I've always really had, had a passion for about about words and language and, and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, some you know, it was a, it was a good school. Some some fantastic teachers who I'll always remember and, and helped me a great deal and encouraged me a great deal. A lot of, lot to thank them for, really. And I'm, I'm still in touch with with one or two really great friends that I made there too. So yeah, and Cockermouth's a lovely place as well, isn't it? So yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. Again, again, happy memories of playing football up on the big up on the big school fields up the back there. I'm sure it's vastly different now because we're going back going back a few, one or two years. <laughs> <laughs> one or two years, yeah. But yeah, the memories the memories never leave you, mate, even though no, you know, it right. changes a bit, yeah. And off to Lancaster University, you went to study BA honours in linguistics, was it, and English language? That's right. Yeah, you've done your homework, Dennis, haven't you? Yeah, you've been you've been reading the CV. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. I went there in '98, and that, that's that was the degree I took. Um, fantastic time. I mean, you know, Lancaster University isn't isn't too far away, so. You know, it quite appealed that it wasn't a place that was at the other end of the country or, or anything. But at the same time, it was still it was still leaving home. It was still, you know, going into that environment when you, you you're out there sort of on your own, living to your own devices. Made some wonderful friends for for life. Who you know, we, we always we always still keep in touch and meet up regularly, and just had the most wonderful. I turned into four years because I did my degree, and then I was. I was editing the the student campus newspaper for a year. That was that was a full time sabbatical position. Um, so that was my fourth year there. So, yeah, I kind of extended the student life by another twelve months through that, um, and then yeah. released back out into the world after that. And, and had to think <laughs> about getting joined, a job. Is that when you joined Whitehaven Years, wasn't it? I think were you? Yeah, it was. It was a few months after I, after I finished my sabbatical year. Um, I, I came back home to Hayton. And was 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 applying for for jobs. I you know I was determined that you know I would I would try and get get myself established in in journalism. And you know I've been building up my CV while I was studying, um, and was very fortunate that you know I, whilst applying for bits of work experience, I'd done sort of work experience shifts at the Times and Star. I mean, working and when I was a bit younger at the Cumberland News, and then I had had a period at the Whitehaven News lined up and. I was quite fortunate at the time that, that I went in there that sort of summer that um, there was a trainee reporting vacancy coming up. Um, someone had just left, I think, in the fairly recent past. So my timing couldn't have been better. So I went in and, you know, I was, was very fortunate to, to have a bit of time there to get used to the place a little bit and get to know people and and, and hopefully do my case, you know, no harm in trying to mm-hmm. get a foot on the ladder and, Luckily, the job came up. I was interviewed, and 
and they, and they took a chance on me. So I, you know, I didn't have journalism qualifications as such when I went in there. I had had done certain degree of experience um, with my own stuff, but they 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 gave me the opportunity at the Whitehaven News. Hilary Scott was was my first editor, and you know, I've got everything to thank her for and to thank the colleagues there for. Um, because I was, I was coming into the world of local newspapers, very inexperienced, very cold, but they, they put me through my training. They sent me to Darlington College to do my, yeah. um, my, my NCE qualification to get me into, you know, into senior reporter status. And that's, that, that was the leg up I, I needed. So yeah, I was there for, I was there for the best part of three years and it was, it was a great grounding, you know, it, it, it was the traditional route in, I guess, the newspapers, Back then, yeah, from the bottom to the top. Well, yeah, the media, the media world, now to break into it's changed so much, even in the time I've been in the industry. But back then, that was the that was the first foot on the ladder, and you know, learned a hell of a lot. Whether I was any good at it or not in those first few years, again, <laughs> for other people to judge. But but I couldn't have I couldn't Stop have gone you. on again without it, mate. To be honest. So. I mean, how did you get into sports journalism? What was your sort of first step into sports journalism? How did you get into it? Well, it was always that was always my where my, my ambition lay, um, into becoming a, a sports journalist, a football reporter. Um, that was the ambition I had in the back of my mind, even when I was, you know, still at school and thinking about university, etc. And by the time I was doing a bit of student journalism, um, a lot of that was on the sporting side of things. Um, and, and while I was at the Whitehaven News, uh, my job was as a news reporter. But you know, the, the, my editors would you know progressively give me give me license to go and, and write about certain sporting things. Did some features and few columns and things. Um, I think they saw that it was something I really um, got a lot out of, and I could I could develop in a way. I guess to give me that freedom to do that. Um, and, and it, it, it kind of just it went from there. It was, it was a passion that I had. It was something I always wanted to do and wanted to make, make sure that I, you know, took every opportunity I could to do it, to, to write and to practice yeah. and to just, to just to make a start really in that because everyone's got to start somewhere. Um, I, I didn't know where it was going to lead me in, in the industry in terms of sports reporting because, you know, for, for, for the first three years I wasn't a – out-and-out sports reporter, but I think that that's that's probably a good thing when you're certainly starting off learning your craft. Um, so it, it it came from there. That was the that was the the springboard for me, up to the point where again, um, the Carlisle United reporting job came up in the News and Star in 2005, and uh, I took a deep breath and applied. And again, some some great people took a chance on me there again, and and. Vic Gibson. Yeah, Vic Gibson was was you know again someone I've I've got a huge amount to thank for. Um, there are certain people in my early years of my career that I couldn't have progressed without. One was one was John Walsh at the times. John Walsh, yeah. When I was at uh, you know still at school in you know fourteen fifteen kind of age, I did work experience with Walshy. Um, he was the sports editor then at the Times and Star, and couldn't have wished for a, a, a kinder and more helpful sort of mentor at that point where you, you don't know anything about this this world this this you know newspaper industry it, it, it's all a mystery to you well she took me in I sat down with him at his desk and just watched and learned from the great man you know and well she's still going strong um Brilliant. capacity fantastic guy they broke the mold when when they made well and I've got so much to thank him for and then Vic Gibson as you say was was the sports editor at the news and star 
at the time, um, a chap called Lee Rowcroft had, had just left. He was the, the Carlisle United reporter who'd who'd taken over after after Anthony Ferguson had had a, had a longest and fantastic writer, Anthony. I always used to read his read his stuff and. As you are when you're a young person and you're full of the arrogance of youth, you think, "Well, I could do, I could do a better job than him. I could, I could do that job." <laughs> then, you, then you, then you end up getting the job and realise it's not as not as easy as you as you think. And so, yeah. a lot of admiration for Anthony and the way he covered Carlisle United in what was really a real period of, of difficult times yeah. through the night and years yeah. and everything. And, and he he had the worst of it to cover. I I came in just when they were on the up. They just come back up from the conference. Fred Story's ownership was starting to get them moving. Simpson was was really getting the team motoring as manager. But but yeah, Vic Gibson um, again took that chance on me. Um, again, I didn't have a sports reporting background other than the bits and bobs that I'd done before. So I'm just grateful that he that he gave me that chance and didn't go for someone else. Maybe who might have been a, a safer bet at the time. But he, he backed me and gave, I learned so much from Vic, especially in those those early months and years when. You know the daily, the daily job of, of reporting on a football club and everything was, it was a change of pace for me because Whitehaven News had been weekly papers, so the pressure, the daily pressure is different on the news and yeah. quite clearly. So that was something I had to learn, and just so many of the facets of the job were were something you just had to pick up as you went along. But without without good people like Vic Gibson and you know Amanda Little was a very experienced colleague. Um, Absolutely. And, and great sub-editors like a chap called John Nicholson who was an absolute master of his of his craft. Um, Mike Gardner was ex- an experienced sort of former sports editor. Tony Harrison was a, was another great colleague. So um, lucky to go into that time when you're surrounded by by good people, great who people. you could learn from and just learn not just about the, the nuts and bolts of the job, but about the whole environment. Um, and it was, you know, it was a great, I, I was, I was, I'd never been happier in my working, maybe short working life than when I started at that job there and was part of a great team. And it really, it really gave me such a lift into my career. Well, obviously, uh, you're a bit of a cricketer, and if uh, memory serves me right, I believe you, Big uh, Gibson was a bit of a cricketer, a bit of a batsman, and memory serves me right, you bowled him out clean. <laughs> well, it, <laughs> I can't believe you. I can't believe you've got you pulled that one up. That's, that's brilliant. We were. Um, this was just before I think I. It was either before or just after I'd started at the News and Star. And I think it was Tony Harrison, the deputy sports editor at the time, organised a sort of inter an inter local media um, cricket tournament up at Scotby. And I, I played a little bit of cricket back then, not not at any great standard. I don't play anymore, but um, I got involved. I said, "Yeah, I'll have a go at that." <laughs> and I must have been on the West Cumbrian um, team because that's why I was up against Vic, who had been on the Carlisle team with the likes of. That's Tony. right. And, um, I, I came in and, and bowled the most sort of horrendous moon ball. It came down with it came down with snow on it. It was it was a horrific no, it was a horrific no ball that, that was never called. And not only did he clean ball Vic at the absolute top of his stumps, it actually split the bales as well. And I've still got, I've still got I'm actually looking at it now in me in my office at home. Half of that bale with SCC Scotby Cricket Club on it. And anytime I see Vic, I'll gladly remind him about that. Just remind him, you know, I bowled you clean out. Oh yeah, I mean, I used to keep that. I used to keep that stump on my desk at work ne- next to Vic, so he had to see it every day. So it was the most illegal delivery that was never called in, in the history of. So, yeah, happy days. John, what was it like working at the Commonwealth Games in Manchester? 
Paul, oh, that was fantastic. That was um, again, that was something that I did in, in obviously in two thousand and two, just after I finished university and went through the volunteering process that was open then. Um, and again, you know, put my, my sort of what was my CV then forward with the, the little bits and bobs of sports reporting experience and um, was very fortunate to be invited onto that. It was the volunteering team on the on the, the, the media sort of in-house reporting side of Manchester 2002. It was headed by a couple of really experienced journalists, a chap called Stuart Barnes and, and another called Steve McCormack, who had, who had vast experience, both of those. Oh, Steve McCormack, what In national, national media circles and everything. And and I was with, you know, a group of about four or five other, you know, relatively young um, people, whether they were from journalism backgrounds or PR or the types of reporting. And we were all, we were a team and we would generate, as I say, a lot of the in-house information um it, it was it was essentially you know the equivalent of what we've seen in more recent years of in-house you know football club media and the sort of content they provide and the sort of service they can provide to to you know the the, the journalists the independent reporting that goes on so we were based in the main stadium um we were going interviewing athletes as they came off the track and everything and it, it was, yeah, it was a marvellous sort of few weeks. I remember staying there in one of the university digs. Um, you always pinch yourself stuff, really, some of the some of the things we experienced and learned there. And, and yeah, and that was another great another great learning learning curve. And some of the stuff I did ended up in going in some of the newspapers, you know, one or two of the stories that you picked up and, and made available to the, to the reporters that were there ended up going, you know, I've still got a scrapbook of them somewhere and um, one or two... One or two things made it into the Guardian and Manchester Evening News and things like that. So that was a real thrill, um, and was great exposure to, you know, some quite elite level sports people and, and getting over your nerves talking to guys like that and getting you know used to that being being work rather than this sort of wide eyed sort of pinch yourself. I can't believe I'm doing this thing. So being in that environment was such a buzz and definitely gave me a gave me a. Um, a kind of a feeling that yeah, I want I want a bit of this. I want to try and make this my career if I can. So no, it was it was a wonderful time. Yeah, really really treasure that time. So then we go on to September two thousand and five, and are we to Cheltenham with Carlisle United for the first time? And if if I'm right, you win as well. It was a three two win. Yeah, it was it was. Um, that, that, always remember that. Um, I mean, I had been to a couple of games previous when I was shadowing Lee Rowcroft um, and Vic Gibson invited me along once I'd got the job. said, look, come along and just sit in the press box, see what happens, see what Lee has to do, see how he how he goes about the job that, that you'll, be, you'll be having to do. So I did that. That was a good little introduction. And then that was it, Cheltenham away that September in, into the press box. There were... There were there were jam donuts in the press box, as I remember. They were on offer. That was that was a bit of a false dawn for what 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 was on offer at football grounds for the press. But I always remember that. Um, I remember driving down. My dad came with me um, as well, and he went and watched the game in the in the away section uh, because I always used to watch watch the game with my dad at Brunton Park, and uh, you know, beside him in the paddock all those years. So. It was at that time that, that that kind of had to stop because I was in the press box. But I still I still travelled with my dad to a few of them in those early days. And yeah, I remember I remember a lot about it. I remember the journey. I remember getting into the press box and, and one or two people looking round as if to say, Who's this who's this young chap? I've never seen him before. What do you think he's doing <laughs> coming in here and 
but you know you, you're kind of very self-aware of that and it was it's a case of right sink or swim can you can you do this job now here's your chance um and I remember the game well Carl Hawley got a couple and and Seagar Rinaldi stuck a, a beauty into the top corner it was it was love at first sight really and and it was I was very fortunate really that it, as I said before it was a time that Carlisle United were on the rise the, the night and years were, were fading into the past the the sort of the, the very Courtney years and all the, that. The John Courtney years were, were utterly essential in in moving the club on from Knighton, but it was still quite chaotic and it wasn't particularly successful. So that had then gone on to Fred's story the the year before. Paul Simpson had really established himself. He'd, re, he'd rebuilt the team remarkably, and that season, well, promotion had happened, and they were starting that season pretty pretty brightly. And Carl Hawley was just about to come into his own as a as a phenomenal to finisher that the way he sort of enhanced himself that season after a after an okay conference season but it was a bit frustrating at times as well for him he just seemed to be a, a superior being in that next the you know, five or six season and yeah he got a couple update Cheltenham that was a sign of things to come and and yeah I just loved I loved the fact that it was my it was my job to to write about this team and to to be able to to write in the way I thought I could and I wanted to about this, this you know, this sort of childhood passion of mine, Carlisle United. It was that was a pinch yourself sort of thing. Um, I felt really lucky to have that chance because I, I love the the act of and, and the discipline of writing as well. Um, aside from the subject, just to have that that kind of canvas, if you like, that, that sort of blank sheet of paper to 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 learn your your writing craft as you go along on this subject was I was really lucky to be able to do that. And yeah, I knew I'd found my dream job, I think, fairly quickly when I was when I was getting stuck into it. Absolutely. And I was gonna say as a massive lifelong Carlisle Inti fan standing there with, with your dad in the paddock and then suddenly here you are covering the whole team all the way to the League Two title. Yeah, yeah it was uh it was a bit deceptive, really, for me. You know, that was my first season as a football, fully fledged football reporter. And you know, there's a league title, there's a cup final at the millennium. Final the millennium. There's, there's fantastic players like Michael Bridges coming in, and Paul Simpson was was really a great manager to be to sort of be exposed to as my as my, my first one. I would deal with every week because Simo was he was he was so professional and he understood, you know, quite acutely the need to project himself and the club in in a in a positive light and to be accessible you know it was it was a case of me ringing bringing simo um at certain points in the week and him him saying look yeah come down at half past one this afternoon we can have 15 minutes in my office and it was it was it was as ad hoc as that it's not it's not the same these days because media access is more organized it, it's more on the press conference basis now the demands are different so things have changed back then it was some of the last of the days of you turn up at the training ground or the ground and you, you grab a player who's coming in out of his car, say if we give you a few words, or you knock on the manager's door and it was it was um Simo was Simo was great in that respect. He never he never knocked anything back. He never made himself unavailable. I mean, yes, there are always sort of disagreements and there always will be between managers and press. Um if if you're doing your job right, you're not gonna be everyone's friend all the time. And so yeah. But that's not yeah. to say it's not to say me and Paul Simpson were were at daggers at any at any point. It was um, it was by and large a very good, very helpful relationship that I 
that I really appreciated it. It didn't, you know, it made my job a lot easier than than perhaps it could have been had I got, you know, had I encountered a manager who was a bit less friendly with with the press. So, but and the football, the way that season unfolded, it was it was a dream really. The season started well. It had a little mini dip, sort of around September October, and then they just took off. Hawley was scoring hat tricks. Bridges came in. That team and that blend of you can just go through them. Westwood, Kevin Gray, Livesey, Peter Murphy, Lumsden, Billy, Hackney breaking through, Derek Holmes, the big, you know, sort of totem um, target man. And, and players on the fringes like Glenn Murray, Simon Grands, you know, you, you can go through them all. And it was it was a special season and great memories to be able to report on the day at Mansfield when, when Hawley scored to, to wrap up promotion, the, 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 the night at Rochdale, not too long after when they sort of sailed the title getting the trophy presented back at Brunton Park. You know, all this stuff is, you know, it was only the third league title that Carlisle United ever won in the history. And to be able to report on that in your first season as a football journalist, as a supporter of that club, I think it's only as time goes past that you realise how special and how, and how fortunate that was. So, yeah, always we'll always remember that very, very fondly. What was it like covering the sacking of Neil McDonald? That must have been... I suppose memorable, but probably not in the best way. It was, yeah. It was, um, it, it was, it was difficult, and it was quite challenging. I think largely because at the time, and certainly for some time afterwards, nobody was really saying too much about why it had happened. Um, and again, I'm still quite an inexperienced reporter here, so that there was a challenge in that respect. But I think it would be challenging for for anyone to get their heads around that and to try and really pinned down what was going on there. It was it was such a surprise. I know as a reporter, you're supposed to be informed and ahead of the game as much as you can be. Um, I certainly wasn't that Monday morning when I, when I took a call from, it was Barbara Abbott, who was at the time working in the club's media department. And I could, I could sense Barbara on the phone. We were sounding quite emotional um, because, you know, you work with these people and you work with these managers and, you know, they are people. They're not just, you know, people in jobs. They're, you know, there's lives there too. You get to know them. And I could sense that Barbara was a bit taken aback by what was going on too. It had all happened quite quite swiftly, it seemed. And told me Neil McDonald had been relieved of his duties. And, you know, immediately the first question is why. And no one really is prepared to say. Um, Neil McDonald himself, when eventually sort of got hold of him and put this stuff to him, didn't really seem to be too clear in his mind as to what had gone on. Um, Fred Story, the owner who had made that decision, certainly wasn't for commenting on it in any in any great way. There were a lot of theories and rumours came up, um, some more plausible than others, some, you know, repeatable than others, let's be honest. There was some pretty lurid and not very pleasant stuff going around at the time. But as a reporter, you've got to treat that very, very carefully and warily. And, you know, most... Yeah. It's amazing what they... It's amazing, John, what they talk about in the Beehive, isn't it? In a it afternoon. is, but, but also, also, you know, when there's a vacuum there, there's a vacuum of information, and in, in football especially, you know, rumours and speculation will fill that vacuum. Um, in no time was that restricted? All. Sorry, John. Was that the club doing restrictions? Was the club doing reporting restrictions? Were they making it difficult? Um, I, I'm not going to say they were making it difficult as in deliberately setting out to make my life difficult because I don't think that would be fair. I just think it was the fact that Fred's story had his reasons for not um, really laying on, laying out in, in all the gory detail why exactly he had fired Neil McDonald. I don't think, I don't think 
Fred's story wanted to do that, hanging the dirty washing in public almost, perhaps because he didn't want to mm-hmm. um, impinge on Neil McDonald any more than, than he already had by sacking him, if you know what I mean, by, by, by all the reasons perhaps yeah. he felt it wouldn't have been entirely professional to say, well, look, here are the various reasons why I, I felt the need to sack this man wouldn't have been right and proper now. That, that, that may be entirely right and fair and decent on a professional level, but when, when football's concerned, it doesn't doesn't answer your questions. So that that was, yeah, it was it, it was it was interesting. It was interesting. It was sort of never a dull moment in in football and at Carlisle United, and even at a time when the club was on the rise, you had this this quite bizarre episode. Um, and it was only in very recent years that the Fred story did come out and sort of address this this thing. Publicly, it was at a time when Neil McDonald was getting strongly tipped to come back for for a second spell, and certainly the board were very interested in him. And it wasn't until then, then you're talking, you know, you're talking years, really, seven or eight years, maybe more afterwards, that, it, that this was addressed in public to any degree. So, yeah, it was it was a challenging time, but again, massive learning curve into what what can go on when you least expect it in football. Now it comes to winning titles, on you're quite good at winning titles. I've heard you've won a, a fair few journalist awards. Well, I, <laughs> that's very nice of you to say. I've been I've been lucky to win one or two accolades, um, sort of industry regional journalist awards. Yeah, it's 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 always really nice and and very very flattering and always massively surprising when anything like that happens. You know, the the industry does run awards, and you know, I always think, well, well. No harm in trying and in, in entering it. You know, it, it's it's always nice to get some sort of recognition. It's good for the CV, and it's you know, it's it's always it's always a good day out as well at these ceremonies. If you if you're lucky enough to get shortlisted, you know, you, you meet heaps of good people from your your line of work and your peers that do similar things. And um, so yeah, so I, I'd, I'd always enter them, and you know, once or twice I've been I've been lucky enough to, to get called up and and to win an award. It, it's a real it's a real privilege and thrill, and um, yeah, you, you never you never expect any of that. But it's it's always a really nice feeling when you get some sort of recognition from 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 your peers and from and from judges and things like that. So yeah, I try not to um, you know I try not to think about that sort of thing too much because I think you can your head can swell when you when you somebody gives you somebody gives you a trophy <laughs> for anything if, if that's what you build your entire life and career around it. Uh, I don't think it'd be all that healthy, but yeah, it's always nice when it, when it has happened. And, you know, other times I've, I've been to these ceremonies and, and, and not one and other people have, and it, it exposes you to other, other, you know, excellent people who you try and aspire to, to be as good as, or to, to try and, you know, learn from, and I've learned a hell of a lot from a lot of great regional sports reporters who I, I've always admired and, Still look up to, so it's it's a, it's it's a nice sort of environment for that reason because it does give you give you the chance to meet some of these guys and talk to them and and compare notes on on this sort of mad kind of industry we all work in. So obviously on to book writing, which is obviously big mm. in your life just now. But what sort of books? What sort of books would you recommend? And if you were somebody who just wants to read a sports book. What would you? What would be your recommendation? What would be the best books to read? Wow, well, that's a yeah, that's a question with a with a infinite answers. I think, um, Dennis. Um, I, I only think of the ones that I've read 
you know, as I've as I've got more into you know reading as a young person, and then as I've become a, a reporter and a journalist as well, you try, try and look for really good writing and really powerfully told stories. Um, I think one that had a real well, there's one or two that had a, a real impact on me that I, I'd probably think of more than others. Um, when I was getting into journalism and sort of heading into sports reporting, um, my mum and dad bought me a collection of Hugh McIlvanny's football writing over the years. McIlvanny on football, it's called. It's it's, it's a collection. Um, and, you know, the, the doyen of, um, you know, generations of, of, of British sports right there in that yeah. book and it was just a case of just immersing myself in that and I think learning what sports writing could be like um, you know that, that it's possible to write with that degree and that depth of, of feeling and power and, and detail and, and, and profundity at times um, and certainly the the style as well. You don't try and copy these people. You shouldn't because you should try and develop your own style. But if you're not trying to take something from them, along with all the other the greats of sports writing, then you're not really paying attention, I don't think. So I think that had an impact on me in terms of realising what sports writing could be at its at its peak, um, what was possible, what, what you know it could it could be lifted from what can often be quite a, a sort of cliche ridden sort of bullet point type of writing if you're not too careful. So um, I'd always recommend yeah. reading Hugh McIlvanny at his best because, you know, I think he's, he's out there on his own really um, in all the facets of what a great, a great sports writer should be, should be like of his time. Um, other great books. I think, I think one of the more unique sporting books of its day was, was full time uh, Tony Cascarino's book written with Paul Kimmage Um I think that broke oh, the mould, and I know it's gone back a few years now, but I think that broke the mould in terms of what a sports person's memoir could be like. Um, I don't think anyone else could have written the book in that way. I think only Paul Kimmage could have told a story in that particular style. I don't think it had really been done before in that way. Um, in terms of getting inside a sportsman's head, bringing out all the raw um, weaknesses and flaws in a person's character in life as well as the the glories on the pitch um really takes you not just into the dressing room but into into a home life and into a mindset and into the internal voice and i think it's been done a lot since in memoirs um that sort of thing but i think that was that was a a trendsetter if that's the right term for for that 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 sort of thing it was quite unique i think at the time um and you, you, you know, you always go back to these these books that, that stay with you and have maybe taught you something new and have given you a new way of of reading about about a subject. And that was certainly one. So I could think of hundreds more, but in terms of ones that really stay with you, yeah, yeah ones. I'd, I'd definitely name those ten. Obviously, we move on to ghostwriting, which I, I don't quite understand myself. But we go to obviously the Paul Nixon autobiography, which I think uh, I read a bit of. What was that like? And Paul Nixon, oh, Leicestershire cricketer, fantastic guy. guy. That was um, that was a great experience. I mean, I I got to know Paul through through the, the job at the News and Star. You know, aside from football, you know, you'd always have a you'd always have an eye on some of the leading individuals in different sports. And Paul was, was 
quite clearly far and away Cumbria's leading cricketer and it was it was wonderful when he when he got that opportunity with England um in in the in the one day yeah. side in, in Australia that 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 winter um I happened to be over in Australia at the time following the ashes um I went with some friends and we went to the the Melbourne and Sydney tests obviously obviously the ashes had been lost by the time we got out there but but that's by the by it was a great time and I knew Paul well enough to to send him a little message when I knew he was in Sydney to say um, any chance we could catch up. You know, it'd be great to see you. You know, I'm on I'm on my holidays, but it'd be nice to maybe you know have a little chat with either. I could send back to the paper and Paul, being Paul, you know, he couldn't have been more helpful. He said, "Yeah, come on, let's let's do it. This is when I'm at the nets. I'll get the guy on the gate to let you in." And myself and my friend Phil, who was sort of posing as my photographer, he was just he was just along for the crack, really. Um, we went in and we. <laughs> we, we sat in at the nets at the SCG with, with Paul Nixon and just had a great chat about this this wonderful opportunity he had and you know we talked about Cumbria and we talked about cricket and life and and I, just when we parted I said look you, you know you've got so many stories to tell Paul and this is this is like the, the crowning glory almost for you being out here have you ever thought of doing a book and he said yeah it's, you know I think a lot of sports people think that they have, they have a book in them at some point but I just thought Paul's such a, an interesting character and he said yeah. I, I think I probably have. I've got some. I've got some tales to tell. I think, and maybe one day it's something I'll love to do. So I said, "Well, look, keep me in mind because it's something I would, I would really, I'd really like to do." And I think, I think we could, we could, we could do it well potentially. Um, thought no more of it really. But then when when Paul was back and I'd done one or two more sort of interviews with him, I thought I'm going to put some ideas down on a piece of paper and, and send it to him and put a little kind of proposal to him and see what he thinks and. Again, Paul read it, he received it, read it. And again, we talk about taking chances on people. I'd never done I'd never done this before, I'd never written a book before, both written, whatever. But Paul said, Look, you know, let's let's do it, let's see what we can do here. And then it was really um trying to figure out what this process would be like because you know, I I knew one or two people who'd written books before, so I, I chatted to one or two who knew that who knew that that world. But it it was still a case of Right, what do I do now? How do we do this? How do we go about it? Um, how do we approach publishers? What order do I do this in? How often do I interview him? How do I write it and try and find his voice? And all this, all this sort of thing was very new, and it was you know, trying to juggle that with the day job was was challenging time wise. Um, fitting it all in trips to Leicester to go and interview Paul at his home, and sometimes at Grace Road, and times when he was up in Cumbria and you know chatting to his dad and things like that. He was a great guy too. Uh, one or two other sort of contacts of his. Trying to pull all this together was um, it was absolutely fascinating because Paul was was a fascinating subject. It wasn't just a story of a of a sporting career. That, yeah. You know, it, here's how I started in sport. Here's some of the people I encountered. I won this trophy. I fell out with that coach. I retired. That that's me. There was a lot more depth to Paul Nixon as as I found when I started talking to him. Um, you know, he, he talked about a match-fixing offer that he'd had, went into a lot of detail about that. But he, but he also talked about his own internal demons as well, how he'd sort of wrestled with, with dyslexia and how a, he'd had this doubting voice in his head through a lot of his career and how he tried to, with with some help, conquer that. And it was really insight into into the psychology of a of a, of a fascinating and quite sort of unique, quite quite quirky in some ways, um, sporting figure who had who had who had risen. And had this great late career flourish, and then even went on to play some fantastic cricket beyond that. Um, even after, even after his, even after his brief England yeah. time was over, 
um, still went on to have some great glories with Leicestershire right towards the end, and you know, in the T20s and things. So, yeah, it was a very draining time because it was a first for me. And writing a book does does take over your mind. It does it does occupy your every waking and sometimes sleeping thoughts. Um, the whole process of it, the, the nuts and bolts of writing it, the researching of it, the, the dealing with the publisher side of things too. So there was a hell of a lot to juggle, and, and it's your first time doing that. Some of it can be quite overwhelming, but and I think I lost quite a lot of weight doing it just through the, the mental, just the mental stresses of, of you know trying to get it right. I suppose what I thought was right, but wonderful experience. Paul was fantastic to to work with. He, he put up utter trust in me to to do it and to try and capture it in the way I thought was you know was the best way that would get his voice and his in his life um onto paper and was really was really chuffed and proud with with what we came out with and how it was received so yeah it was it was a great experience very tiring but but a brilliant experience and you know again gave me gave me experience that I could then sort of lean back on when, when I did it again yeah, with Matt Janssen. And, of course, that brings you up to, well, I mean, let's talk <laughs> folks from the blues. An outstanding book. I, I read a bit of this. And I, obviously, I've not had much time to read the whole book because I'm a slow reader and I've got loads on. But I've really enjoyed this. And um, it's clear that, you know, you talk about Holly. I mean, this must have been so much fun to be yeah. here. It was, it, yeah, you talk about a labour of love. This was, this was definitely that. Um, it came from... It came out of the lockdown when when football had ground to a halt. You know, the football league had suspended everything. Um, I'd been furloughed as well, so I was I was looking at a couple of months at least of of not having my, my regular job to do. So I was um, feeling a bit unsettled probably at the time in terms of right, what am I gonna what am I gonna fill my days with? What am I gonna what's my focus gonna be? How am I going to probably you know put my put my skills to any sort of use if I can while I'm while I'm out out of work at, the, at this stage um a lot of football supporters Carlisle supporters were, were increasingly um I think relying on nostalgia to to keep in touch with their support and their club and Radio keep Cymru were, were producing sort of archive commentaries which were brilliant I was listening to those really enjoying that um the club itself were were, were digging out classic games on, on YouTube and you know, some classic goals were coming up. And I think people on, on forums, on Twitter and all that were having, you know, real debates about, about the past and about favourite memories. And it just gave me the idea then that this was this was something I could maybe do that would be would be productive, it would be achievable, and I think it would be very much of its time. Um looking back, trying to capture some some of these moments that we all whatever's happening in the present day, we always, you know, are happy to look back on and we'll always look back fondly on um and you know I, I think the idea just came to to you know because goals are in the end what we all go to Brunton Park or it's what we go and we want to see That's it's what it. we want to so feel as seat. well that moment where you you are lifted out of your seat where you do lose your lose your mind a little bit when I could imagine whether it's whether it's Carl Hawley or the amazing Jimmy Glass, I mean, oh. there's a moment of absolute... I mean, it still pops up on Twitter mm. feeds, on YouTube, yeah. on Facebook, Jimmy Glass. Well, that's right. And, legend you know, of legends. I, I just thought, well, we all know what we think about these moments and, you know, we all know where we were when Jimmy Glass scored and we all know how we felt when, you know, when, I don't know, when you when Carl Hawley scores at Mansfield or Derek Mountfield heads in at Rochdale, all, all these 
know, Murphy at Wembley, you could, you could list so many. We, we all know how we felt at those times. We kind of define our supporting lives by them. But, but, but there's only one person who can tell you what it was like to be behind that, that goal and to launch that shot or to be that, that person yeah. heading in or whatever, or to think these, these thoughts of, you know, this unique goal. So I just thought the insights those guys can give are unique. They are, they are, you know, no one else can can tell that. Um, and that just, that gave me the idea to try and see it through their eyes, and also open that out into you know the, some broader perspectives on their their time at Carlisle, their their lives in the game, sometimes their lives away from the game, and put them those goals into the context of that, um, and covering different eras, covering different periods in Carlisle United's history um, and, and covering different personalities and, and, and people and, and trying to just cover a range of, you know, what as supporters will always have, you know, different degrees of, of fondness and memory for. So, yeah, I thought it would be achievable in the sense that I wanted to do it through their eyes. So I'd be, I'd be ringing people and contacting them and, you know, hopefully getting these, these heroes to, to speak to me and, in the lockdown then everyone was in the same boat largely often people were at home so that a lot of them had a bit more time on their hands they were happy to pick the phone up or ring me back and say yeah come on let's let's have half an hour now let's let's talk um so i felt it was achievable as a book without needing to you know be driving up and down the country which obviously you couldn't do or doing heaps of archive research and which obviously you'll be limited yeah. by as well um I thought, you know, it's something I can do with phone calls, my own sort of knowledge, the bits of the bits of research I had at my, you know, at my disposal at home and and what have you and online. Um, and it's something I can crack on with and do in a, in, a, in a space of time. I was, you know, fortunate to to um, to, to get a publisher in Vertical Editions who, who were really happy and, and keen to to work with me on it. And yeah, in the space of two or three months, it went from idea to um, to fruition, which. I didn't think it was possible, but 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 there you go. It's amazing what you can do when you have a bit of spare time on your hands. <laughs> it's a fantastic book, and I believe it's available in the Blues Store and in Waterstones, and I can highly recommend it. But what I think is amazing about it is there's no royalties for you. I believe there is yeah, something much, big at yeah. heart for um, this, John. It's also available in in, in bookends and in HMV in Carlisle too, and, and online as well, and and. Yeah, the the royalties. Yeah, I don't I don't get a penny from it. Everything that I would have, have earned through royalties is going to the NHS um, in Cumbria um, through the COVID nineteen appeal, and that was the idea I had from 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 the word go. That you know this pandemic was was reaching all of our communities in that March April time when I had the idea for the book and in the lockdown, um, which none of us will ever forget. Whatever happens next with with this thing, that was a really a really strange time in all our lives and you know this thing had reached Cumbria and it was it was putting our NHS under the under the, the sort of pressure and to the test like it probably never before been been done um in, in this way so I just felt it was the decent and right thing to to offer a you know a very small little gesture if people wanted to you know have a, have a reason for buying the book to know that you know a few pennies will be going that way, just to, just to offer a tiny bit of help. I think it was it was right and fair, and I'm you know I'm pleased that you know when I was talking to some of these players, that was a reason a lot of them were, were really keen to to join in as well. Some of them had family who worked in the NHS, some had their own personal reasons why it really appealed to them to help. So that's that's 
that's what I hope comes out of this more than anything that it just raises a, a few quid for a great cause in our in our community. Well, I'm sure, and, and I speak behalf, for myself, and I'm sure on behalf of this, and that they probably can't thank you enough. It's an outstanding, generous thing to do, uh, John. I, I've got to wrap it up nearly. Uh, I can't, I can't thank you enough because I know you're a busy guy, and I feel quite lucky to have, have get a few moments with you to talk about you and your your sort of background. And so, John, on behalf of everyone at Guildford Gazette Podcast and myself personally. I thank you for coming on this show. I hope everything goes well for you. I really look forward to finishing the book. And for everybody else, like I say, the book is available in bookends. It's available at the CUFC store, Waterstones, Amazon. It's available there. Get reading it. It's fantastic. It's a great insight. And John Coleman, thank you very much for coming on and spending your time. Thank with you me for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure, mate. John, take care. Cheers, and I'll mate. talk to you soon. Thanks a lot, John. Playing you the greatest hits of all time. Playing the hits and your favorites of yesterday and today. 